If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. I mean, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Kind of as an aside, but a, a short introduction to the message, but really more just as a, a thank you. Now, I had the chance to be here for our youth lock-in for just a few short hours Friday night. And they made it all the way until 9 o'clock the next morning. I made it till 8.30 the previous night, but it's okay. Um, I, you know, I really enjoyed getting to see, I think we had 18 total students that showed up, is that right? Uh, and I can't count how many adults uh, that came in and helped in various ways. Uh, so let me start off just by thanking you for supporting our youth and our, our, uh, our youth department. Uh, we had a wonderful turnout uh, and then a wonderful night. Uh, so thank you, Donna and Kurt, for organizing it. Uh, thank you, Eva, for doing the lesson. Eva's back there, and, and this is where my transition comes in. Um, Eva had a lesson on faith that is about as good as you could have taught on faith. And, and so I won't go into all that. I'll let uh, next week. Do you want to teach that lesson to everybody? No, okay, that's okay. Uh, more than anything, what I want to share is, is kind of how she got everyone involved. We had a piece of paper, and we wrote down the side uh, the letters F-A-I-T-H, and we were supposed to come up with acronyms or, or you know, something corresponding with each letter that taught us about faith. And so even before the lesson, just to get our brains working about what faith might be, and, and, and the details of what everybody wrote down were, were neat, but what I really loved is how different all the answers were. All accurate and all unique and different. And Tracy was sitting next to me, and he kind of leaned over and said, I love hearing, people, I love hearing these students talk about what they know in the Bible. There's so many different uh, different words and phrases and descriptions. And I just sat back and I thought, God, you are good for creating us so unique. I learned things from the students that, that I wouldn't have learned if they wouldn't have been there sharing with me. And it's a reminder to me that, that God wires and makes us all creative. He makes us all unique and he makes us all with purpose. So this morning, I, I want to look at a, a message that I'm calling the image of God, uh, stealing that straight from the scripture that we are created in God's image. And it's one of those things that, that, quite honestly, we like to say, and maybe even wear as a badge, here I am, created in the image of God. But if we really stop and think about it, we have no clue what that means, right? It sounds good, but what does it mean to be made in the image of God? I want to go ahead and, and let you off the hook a little bit. There are theologians, men who do uh, very little else than study Scripture and try to teach it. That, that's their whole job. Thousands of years, these men have sat and studied Scripture, and there are probably a thousand different opinions on what it means to be created in the image of God. It's a complex thought. There's some detail to it that we can differ on and maybe have a hard time grasping and understanding. Some have got it completely wrong. Others have it completely right. And most of us are in between trying to figure out exactly what it means to be created in the image of God. So I'll go ahead and tell you this morning, I have no intention of completely explaining everything to you that for thousands of years, man has questioned and had a hard time coming to grasp with. Instead, I want to look at some characteristics that I know reflect God's image in your life and my life. The, the timing of this message is not an accident. It's been sitting in the back of my mind for quite some time now because Wednesday, January 22nd of 2020, this past Wednesday, was Sanctity of Human Life Day in the United States of America. Maybe you were aware of it, maybe you weren't. It's not one of these holidays that the news really promotes all that much. 
And yet it's a day for us to to stop as as believers that all life is created equal, to stop and, and celebrate the fact that God has made every life unique. And so I, I'm telling you this because I, I want to be very clear this morning that the Bible teaches unequivocally that every life from the moment it is conceived is valued by God, created by God, and worthy of life. Our country is not in a place that is on board with that sentiment. I'll say this. Uh, the, the best statistics I could find were, were humbling enough were from 2016, so it's now four years old. So in, in 2016, in our country alone, there were 623,000 abortions in our nation. It's a big number, but it feels even bigger when you break it down. That's roughly 1,700 abortions every day. Or 71 every hour, more than one a minute. I think what humbled me more than anything was that roughly a little more than 10% of all reported pregnancies, now let this sink in for just a minute, one-tenth of our population in 2016 was reported. We don't value life as a nation the way God's Word values life. And on Sanctity of Human Life Day, it should bring to the forefront that we are created in God's image and are special to our Creator. It's not only at the beginning of life. Sadly, we're at a place where we don't value life at the end of life either. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there are eight states in our country... Nine, if you include Washington, D.C., where it is legal to get physician-assisted suicide. In other words, I don't feel that my life is worth living anymore. I don't feel like my life has purpose and value, and it is legal for me to be put down. There are at least 17 other countries that practice this same thing that have no value of life at the end of life or in the midst of illness. And some of these other 17 countries, it's not in the United States yet, thankfully, but some of these 17 other countries, it's not only legal to be physician-assisted suicide, but it is mandated in certain cases. In other words... Your life isn't valuable to our society anymore. And whether you want to or not, we're making the decision. It's time to end your life. Valuing life doesn't just happen early on. It happens at the end of life as well. There is value to be had for every person who God has put on this earth. And all throughout life, we find a disregard for the value of life. We still see things in our nation and in our world such as racism and bullying and an entitlement culture that I have more value than you have. Can I tell you this morning, Scripture teaches that some of us are not created more in the image of God than others. We are all created in His image. So when we stand up for life at the beginning and at the end and everywhere in between, it is not because we want to stand on a soapbox and parade a worldview that we have come up with. It's because God has created all mankind in His image. And we, as believers in Christ, 
Don't stand up for the unborn because it's a fashionable thing to do or a political thing to do, but because God values life and we value what God values. So I want to look at what it means to be made in the image of God today. Why is it that we believe that all life has value today? Before we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, I want to share another story of how twisted our culture has made this value of life to be. In the midst of all of the disregard for human life, there seems to be an upswing for careful attention and preservation of animal or even plant life. Now, let me go ahead and say we're going to talk in detail about how important it is for Christians to care for animals and the rest of creation. Okay, it's extremely important. But it saddens me when we see the same group of people fighting against the sanctity of human life and fighting for, let's just uh, put it this way, there's a, a forest in California that someone is, is putting forth or requesting it be declared uh, a person so that it has the same rights as people, a forest, the trees, that it would have the same rights as a human being, that it could not be abused or cut or even trespassed or walked on because this forest is on par and equal with humanity. i tell you how ridiculous this seems. It breaks my heart when I see commercials. The Sarah McLaughlin song gets you every time, right? Help the animals. Give to the animals. And you get all weepy and teary-eyed. And can I tell you, we ought to be helping animals, but it breaks my heart that some of the same people championing Save the Seals are killing the babies. We've got it backwards. God made all of creation good, but He only made humanity in His image. It's only people who God has given a special task, a special purpose. So I'm going to share with you this morning what Scripture teaches us about the image of God. There is so much more than what we're going to get into this morning, and there's certainly, certainly more depth to it than what we can study in one sermon. However, I think this is a great starting place to remind us why humanity, why you, why all life are special in God's eyes. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. This is the creation account, and God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, uh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As your homework assignment, I would love for you to go and read all of Genesis chapter 1 because it highlights how unique the creation of man is. Day one, there's a, a list of things God creates that are lumped together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Day two, there's a, a lump of what God created, right? He, he separates the, the sky from the waters. And day three, he brings about land, and, and he starts putting stars in the sky and moons and sun. And, and as the days progress, you see the creation of plants and animals. And on day six, all the beasts of the land are created, and it's just kind of lumped together. The birds of the air and the fish are created on one day. The land animals are created another day, and then it's a pause, and God says, 
But instead of just saying all the creatures, let's focus on this for just a minute. You get verses 26 through 28. It really is a, a special account. The fact that humanity is separated from the rest of creation gives us a glimpse onto the care that God has for people. You, you want to go into even more detail, read Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 retells a creation account, but only through the humanistic standpoint. It gives us the details of how God reaches down into the ground and forms man in the dust. He tells us specifically how he creates woman from the rib of man. He, he talks specifically about the communion he has with humanity. And we see that God creates humanity special. What ways, then, do we reflect God's image? What ways can we say we are more valuable in God's eyes than the rest of creation? I've got at least four, and, and we'll look at these four this morning. To start with, humanity is created to rule, to reign. We are called the caregivers of the earth. That's why you read words like dominion over the creation, we're called to subdue the creation. We are called to rule and to reign. In other words, all of creation was created so that we, as human beings, would have resources, companionship, uh, creation around us. Yes, it is fair to say that God's creation is very man-centric. God created all of the universe so that he could create humanity to bring him glory. We're called to rule and subdue the earth, which is why we are at the top of the food chain. Don't let anybody else tell you differently. I get that if you come in contact with a bear, you could get eaten, and that would put you lower on the food chain. But God has created us to have rule over the bear. I understand that some of you don't want to go swimming, especially Shark Week, because I don't know if you knew it or not, but when they put them on TV, they're more active. So I don't know if you're afraid of the ocean and afraid of the shark, but can I tell you, you have rule and reign over the shark. God created us in such a way that we are supposed to be superior to the animals and the plants that God has put on this earth. We are called to use the resources God has given us. Do you know, it's no mistake that God has, God has given us oil. That's not an accident. It's not as if God said, let's make sure the land has plenty of oil under it for the land's sake, right? God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that man, in his creative ability, would find a use for the resources he's put there. Did you know that trees burn when they're cut for the purpose of man having warmth and fire? There's certainly other reasons and other abilities, but it's not beyond God's will for us to say that trees are put on this planet for man's purpose. We are to rule and to use the resources God has given us. And that's why it's very important that we understand humanity is, yes, above the rest of creation. That is a, a godly, Genesis-centered outlook on how God created things. But it always has to come with a warning, doesn't it? Because while God put us on this earth to rule, to use the resources, to subdue the land, he also called us to take care of it. You know what Adam's job was? Before there was sin, before there was sweat with his work, what his pleasurable job was? He was to work the ground, grow a garden. The Garden of Eden is called a garden because it was lush and plentiful, but also because... 
because God put Adam there to plant and to grow and to harvest. He was to take good care of the land. He was to care for the animals. He was to show show love to creation because God created it and it was good. So it is sinful when we take the resources that God has given us and refuse to use them because we lift them up above humanity, it is equally sinful when we abuse the creation that God has given us. There's not a scripture passage that clearly states this, but I believe wholeheartedly that littering is a sin that God looks at that with displeasure. You roll down your window and you throw your wrapper out. Why? Because I believe God called us to take care of the earth. And trashing the earth is not God-honoring to his creation. God called us to rule over the earth, and part of that is to take care of it. Now, I don't know about your house, but at my house, we know all know who's in charge at my house, don't we? Don't we, kids? We all know who's in charge at my house. And it's obviously mom, but it's also dad, right? The, the parents are, are the ruling authority over the house. And there are some times that my kids look at me and I give them a rule or I give them a task and they roll their eyes and they say, that's not fair and I don't want to do it and I have to use my dad voice. I don't like using my dad voice and putting the hammer down and putting my foot down and saying, this is what you're going to do and you're going to like it because I said so, right? There's an aspect of ruling that is, I know what's best and I'm telling you what's best and you're just going to do it even if you, you don't love it. But the truth is, Any rule that Hannah and I have in our house, any dominion that we have is not because we say so. We may say it's because we say so. But it's not because we say so. It's because we love our children. We care for our children. We want what's best for our children. I think that that's a great way to look at our dominion over the earth. We are to rule and subdue and use the resources God has given us. We we are to be the supreme part of creation that God created us to be, but we are to care and love for creation as well. I'm no tree hugger. You chop down the tree if I'm cold because I want a fire. But I'm not in favor of, of needlessly wiping out anything that God has created. I think that God has given us rule to represent, to reflect his rule over us. And here's where you see his image coming in. Just as God loves and cares for and rules and has dominion over humanity, he has let us be that reflection over all of creation. Instead of God micromanaging everything that goes on on this planet, he has, in his infinite wisdom, created humanity to take care of it. And we mess it up sometimes, and sometimes God has to come in and and clean things up. But in the reflection of God's image, he has given us the ability to rule and reign over the rest of the earth. That's a responsibility we ought to take seriously and one that we cannot cast aside lightly. God created you to rule, different from any other part of creation. Secondly, God created us for romance. It's not a mistake that in the midst of man's creation, God specifically states he created them male and female. Now, I already know what you're thinking. There are plenty of other animals in creation that were also created male and female. I'm aware of this. I took anatomy. I've studied in high school a long time ago about the birds and the bees. They didn't talk about the people and the people. They explained birds and bees to kind of help understand a little better. We know that all, most of animal creation is created male and female as well. 
But there's a specific purpose behind humanity's maleness and femaleness that does not exist with other animals. There is marriage that takes place among people that does not take place among animals. The vast majority of the animal kingdom is not monogamous. They're more love the person you're with, right? There are some exceptions to this. There are some animals that are fiercely loyal to a spouse for the duration of their life. But you know they have no wedding ceremonies in the animal kingdom? I know you've seen some of those movies and maybe you watched The Lion King and you've kind of seen some animal features going on there. There's no marriage, right? You go out to the jungle and there's, there's no commitment, no vows. There's no, there's no, marriage, com, uh, uh, no marriage contract or, or no marriage commitment. Instead, it's just animals being animals. But God created humans differently. God created humans not only to love other humans, but God created them specifically to commit to them. God created them to to reflect a love that does not occur elsewhere on this planet. And that's why it's so important that we understand God created males and females. God set the order and the structure. There have been all sorts of documented, without getting into scientific details, um, that some little ears could cover their ears on. There's been all sorts of documented cases of animals that don't stick to the male to female relationships. And you know what? That's nature. Humanity is not a part of that nature. God created us specific. So the rest of creation may may abuse or manipulate this, but, but humanity was created with a man and with a woman and with a purpose. And so we see that God created us not only for for unity with a spouse, but he created us to reflect his own image in marriage. Think about how beautifully marriage reflects God's image. Paul explains this in great detail in the book of Ephesians when he talks about the husband and his relationship to the wife and how the the husband is to love the wife and sacrifice for the wife and be the head of the house so that he can care for the wife. And the wife is to love the husband and respect the husband and and honor her husband the way the church honors God. And there's this mutual completion to the relationship that reminds us of our relationship with God. You know, it's not an accident that God created us male and female. He did it for the purpose of reflecting his love for humanity. God created people for for rule, for romance, and then thirdly, God created people rational. He created us rational. I think it's okay to say, can, can we admit this morning, that humans aren't the best at everything in all of creation. You know, being created in the image of God does not mean we're superior in every way. There are animals who have greater strength than people. Can we admit that, right? There are animals that, quite honestly, you don't want to get into a fight with. There are animals that that maybe have more loyalty than a lot of people. There are animals who have uh, greater capacities to do some things that humans can't have. And so what being rational does not mean is that we are the most intelligent of all of creation. Now, maybe we are, 
But if scientists discover that somehow this animal or that animal has superior intellect, that does not change the fact that God made us rational and separate. Do you know that squirrels, yes, squirrels, have been discovered to have such a high intellect that if they sense that someone, including people, might be raiding or stealing their food, they will create a distraction from that food. Some of the wiggling of their tails and the crazy antics you see, scientists have discovered, is their brains processing, I need to get your attention away from what I want and over to this. Do you know that crows, birds, have been known to make tools to reach food? There's a picture I found online of a crow in a lab who was given a, it looked like maybe it was a paper clip, I don't know, it was a little piece of metal that he fashioned into a hook so that he could reach down into a tube and grab out the food he was trying to eat. Thinking through, making tools, extremely intelligent. They say that an octopus has a brain like a human brain that has folds and creases and can retain knowledge similar to how humans can retain knowledge. Am I ready to say that we're the most intelligent people on this planet? No, because I've met a lot of people. (laughs) So what does it mean to be rational? Does it mean that we can talk? That we can communicate? Well, that can't be it either. God didn't create us unique in that. Did you know there are animals who, who have specific communicative language? There's a theory out there that is not proven, but has been tested pretty well that dolphins may speak their own language they actually make clicking noises that identify other dolphins they give each other names they can speak and talk they have intelligence to to communicate and they teach traits onto others it's said that when they're they're digging around for food on the bottom of the ocean floor they'll grab a sponge on the end of their snout to keep their noses from rubbing and how do they learn that well they've discovered that mother dolphins teach it to their children They communicate it, and they learn. Are we the most communicative creatures on the planet? I don't know. Maybe we are. Do we have the most advanced language? It certainly seems so. But if science discovered tomorrow that there was some sort of of telepathic communication between animals that humans don't have, does that make us less in God's image? No, it does not. We're created rational does not mean we are superior in every way. Instead, we are created rational means means two main things. One, that we can understand morality. That we can think through right and wrong. Humans uniquely understand right from wrong. Your dog, or I won't say your cat because they won't listen to you, but your dog, when given a command, knows to follow that command. It is learned, it is wrong, hopefully, I don't know, most of you, it is wrong to go to the bathroom inside the house. Right? So they are programmed and trained to go outside of the house. Does that mean they know intuitively that it is wrong to go inside and right to go outside? No. What they have learned is that if I go inside, I get disciplined this way, and their brains are smart enough to figure out the, the correct thing to do, but morality plays no part of it. Animals can't understand morality. They understand adaption. They understand learning. They understand changing, but they don't understand what is good. And what is wrong? Humans alone, you and I alone, have the capacity to figure out what's right and what's wrong. I saw a meme on Facebook earlier this week. It says, if you think you're a bad mother, just know that mother kangaroos will throw their babies at a predator to escape. You're telling me that a kangaroo knows what's right from wrong? You laugh because you instinctively know that's wrong. Don't do that. 
Animals know if I do this, I get this result. Some of you mothers are second-guessing that, aren't you? You're going, maybe that's not a bad idea. (laughs) Animals can't understand morality. We instinctively know right from wrong because God has wired it in us. But secondly, part of being rational means that we can perceive there is a God and worship. Humanity alone understands what it means to worship. There are certain animals that have rituals. I found it really interesting. Did you know that elephants bury their dead and actually have what seems to be funeral-type rituals? There are other animals that, that uh, um, will, will focus on the phases of the moon in creation and, and follow patterns based on phases of the moon. Some people have, have gone as far as to say they're worshiping the moon. I'll tell you that, that they're not worshiping. Animals can't understand what it is to know God or worship Him. They can create rituals. They can learn behaviors and patterns. They can be superior in in many ways to human beings, but they cannot know God because they were not created to worship. And that leads us to our, our last revelation of what it means to be created in the image of God. We were created to be redeemed. Created to redeem. Only humans have a soul. Only humans will live eternally. One of the questions I got asked when we didn't ask the pastor has been over a year ago. Someone said, well, will my pets be in heaven? And can I go ahead and share with you, there will be animals in heaven. There are pictures in Scripture that are painted of animals in heaven. There will be companions, I believe, in heaven. But if we want to know the truth of it, your specific dog, your specific cat, or your specific fish here on earth does not live eternally. God has blessed you with your companion here on earth. And God will bless you with a companion in the future. But it's only human beings who have that eternal soul. And I might add that God created you not just to live eternally, but to live eternally specifically with Him. Do you know that Jesus died for the forgiveness not of all of man, or not of all creation, but of all mankind? Jesus dies specifically for humanity specifically for human beings. It's humans alone that have the capability of seeking forgiveness from the God who we recognize. It's a reflection of God's image that we worship Him because of that forgiveness we have. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. As we conclude our message on the image of God this morning, certainly it gives us, uh, gives us credence onto why we believe the sanctity of life of the unborn. Why we see value of life for the terminally ill. Why we see value in life at every stage. But can we remind ourselves this morning that your life has value. That God created you with a purpose. God made you in His image. God has given you the, the ability to rule the capacity for romance. He created you rational to know Him, and He created you in order that you might be redeemed. This morning, God's will for your life is to be restored to that right relationship with Him. God uniquely created you to know Him. So this morning, as we wrap up, our our invitation is going to be this. Do you understand God's love for you? Do you know that God died to redeem you? 
And are you willing to subject yourself to him because he created you for that purpose? Let's pray. Father, what an amazing, amazing thought to know that you created every human life with value. Lord, admittedly, there are times in my life I've not felt valuable. Lord, my value is not placed on me because someone else says I'm valuable or even because I say I'm valuable, but because you say I'm valuable. Lord, you created me to know you. And so this morning, I thank you that you have revealed yourself. Lord, as we seek and search after you this morning, I pray that that each person in here would examine their hearts and understand their need to know you. Lord, that you would redeem each and every heart in here who confesses to you that you are the Lord of our lives and the Savior and forgiver of our sins. Father, we thank you for creating us unique. Let us value life because you value our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.